For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. Today, we're going to explore visual storytelling with Ekaterina Walter, the co-author of The Power of Visual Storytelling. I also have a really cool Google Plus tool that I'd like to share with you. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and share that right now. After introducing a vegetarian diet to piranhas, look what Michael Stelzner discovered. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a resource that allowed you to track communities on Google Plus, pages on Google Plus, and even people on Google Plus to identify who has the largest following, who has the most engagement. And what if there was a tool that would even allow you to see historically how well your page on Google Plus or your profile has been performing? Well, I've recently come across a really cool tool called G Plus Data, and that's G and then plus is spelled out P-L-U-S data.com. Now, this is a really cool site that allows you to run a whole bunch of interesting reports pretty much in real time. For example, you can look at people that are most active, pages that are most active, uh, what parts of the country or even the world are most active on Google+, the top posts on Google+. I typed in Social Media Examiner and I found our page. And what's cool is it ranks us. For example, we're 270 second in the news pages category, which is interesting. And as I keep scrolling down the page here, it shows me um, what time of the day people are most active. It also shows us the growth of our followers and even breaks it down on a daily basis for us. So it's almost like a little bit of Google Analytics uh, that's publicly available for, frankly, just about any page. It even shows all of our updates and how many shares we got. And what's cool about this is not only can you look at our page, you can look at your page, you can look at competitors' pages, and you can see exactly what they're doing. Another thing that's really cool is it allows you to, with the click of a button, identify the largest communities on Google+. For example, currently the largest is Amazing Places to See, photography of places to see around the world, and there's 366,000 people that belong to this particular community. It also rank orders the pages. For example, the number one page on Google+, no surprise, is the YouTube page with 8 million followed by the Google Art Project, Android, and a, and a bunch of other Google things. And then um, our good friend Guy Kawasaki is ranked in at number seven with 5.7 million um, followers on his Google Plus page. So you can kind of 
see lots of interesting data you can search. There's a limit to how much data that they will provide for free. Uh, if you decide to want to get more detailed analysis, there is a cost. I think it's like $10 a month. But for sure, check it out. I think it's a really cool tool called gplusdata.com. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. With that, let's transition over to today's interview with Katarina Walter on visual storytelling. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined by Ekaterina Walter. She is the chief marketing officer at Brandarati and also the author of Think Like Zuck. And her latest book is called The Power of Visual Storytelling. Ekaterina, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Glad to be here. Well, welcome back. This is the second time you've been on the show. And today we're going to talk about a little different something than last time, which is the visual storytelling side of things and how any business really can benefit from it. So let me start by asking you, how did you fall into this visual storytelling uh, book and, and, and concept? Because it seems like it's something new. So tell me a little bit, what's the story? How did you get into this? Yes, absolutely. So, so I think it was just kind of a natural progression. Um, last, you know, last of my eight years of, I spent at Intel and uh, five of which is in building social business there. And a lot of the things that I started noticing in the past three years have been that perfect shift to visual storytelling. So visual, using visuals, using, using rich media and grabbing attention. Um, and so I, uh, I think it was, uh, two, two and a half, three years ago is where I, I wrote my first post because I've been looking at the data and, um, the usage of visuals versus usage of just text and links um, in information sharing has been quite significant in in amount of engagement it has received. And so I wrote my first post in, in Fast Company of on the rise of social, visual, social media. And it, it, it kind of went gangbusters. People loved it. They shared it. They said, yes, we're seeing the same things. And, you know, they wanted more data. They wanted more information. And ever since I've written a number of... Um, Posts on that specifically and usages of how brands use a specific network that are visual, Pinterest, Instagram, Vine. Um, and and it's, it's received very well because I believe that we are moving um, to the world that is so inundated with information, right? So I call it infobicity. We live in this world and age of infobicity. Um, and there are particular filters that allow us to stand out from this noise and one of them, in my view, is sort of visual marketing or visual storytelling. And not just visual marketing or uses of visual, but, but doing it in a smart way where it really does tell a story. Well, I'm glad you – that's a perfect segue into my next question, which is uh, talk about visual storytelling. I think a lot of people listening right now understand visuals, right? Because, gosh, visuals have been around forever, right? I mean, book covers have been – that are visual – tend to sell better than those that are not. And obviously, YouTube has been around forever. Um, but when you combine the word storytelling with visual, it's intriguing to me. And I'd love you to kind of uh, break it down a little bit. What is visual storytelling? 
You know, the way we defined it in the book is um, use of images and videos, infographics, and potentially presentations, right, with the rise of slide share, um, and just other visuals um, in social media or on social media platforms to help craft a graphical story around key brand values and also your offerings, but more so around who you are as a brand and why your consumers might want to connect with you. And so that's sort of the the formal definition. And the reason is because um, the visuals are fantastic, but more and more with the rise of millennials and, you know, sort of digital natives and um, younger generations, they want to know not just what you're offering or what uh, products that that might be useful in in their everyday life. They want to know how can they be part of something bigger, a part of a movement, Um, And so that sort of defining of that purpose and where you fit within that purpose or within that tribe, that's what visual storytelling allows you to do. And that's how you reach that emotional connection with your customers. You know, it's very timely because um, my friend Jason Miller, who works for LinkedIn, who I think you know, absolutely just came out with an infographic as of the day of this recording, which is called a well-balanced blog. And he has a blogging food groups and, you know, on Monday it's the vegetables and on Tuesday it's the meats and on Thursday, Wednesday it's the whole grains and the wheats. And he's got all these different food groups kind of um, displayed in an infographic that kind of helps convey the power of variance in your blog content. And like, it's, it's hot. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's sharing <laughs> it. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but this is something that I think, um, you know, why is it that when we see these kinds of things that we tend to respond to them in a way that's maybe different than when we're just simply seeing an article. So so that's that that is actually a good question and and the answer is simple thinking in pictures is in our nature that's who we are um the, the earth existed for for so many years right thousands and and thousands of years and we we only used text or language to communicate with each other that isn't that that's actually a written language for a very small portion of that time. Um, our brains are wired to process images and visuals way faster, way better. Um, so 60, if, if you really want to talk statistics, um, our brains process visuals 63 thousand, not just 60 times, 60,000 times faster than than we process text. And so it's a very natural activity for us. And and if you look at sort of how nonverbal communication is is being... um, absorbed right immediately sort of no no language required is about probably 93% of our communication is is nonverbal so you talk about the fact of you know looking at at somebody's facial expression versus just reading about it is is so so different right in my in my book i i say well read the word girl and what is that you know what is that well, okay, you know, girl. So you, you just kind of maybe think about some of your memories or some some random things, right? But when you actually see a picture of a girl, you suddenly start shaping um, shaping a story around why is she there? What you know, she's smiling. Is she happy? Is she unhappy? What is she wearing, etc. So so that that emotional connection is really critical. And if you get down to specific data of, of sort of why is this so effective and why marketers should be looking at that, um, I'll give you several um, of interesting. Data yeah, points. let's hear it. 
So one, for example, is, um, you know, web posts with visuals drive up to 180% more engagement than those without. And there's multiple different studies. So the, the, it varies between 100% to 200%. So, but most of them agree that it's it's really high, 180 to 200%. Okay, let's, um, pa- as as let's pause there for a second because I want to yes. break some of these things down. Now, what you said is web posts with visuals outperform those without. And you know what? It makes total sense to me. I, why is that? I think that, let me just add my commentary and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I, at Social Media Examiner, for example, we have editorial guidelines where we try to have visuals for every few paragraphs because we know that a lot of people don't have the time to read, but a visual image can essentially allow them to digest the content and decide, okay, hmm, I'm going to read this. And a visual can come in many forms, right? It can be a screenshot, it can be a photograph, it can be an infographic. And have you found this to be the case as well, that the articles that you read tend to have more visuals in them? Absolutely. That's why I'm a huge fan of Social Media Examiner. I mean, that's the reality. People want to see the screenshots and, and data in them and, and pieces of um, of text that you're communicating in visual form. And if you notice, actually now, way after you guys introduced um, the use of visuals in, in sort of a more of a heavy um, format, it, now if you look at Fast Company, you know, and Forbes and others, they're really moving. And if you look at Medium, so new sort of the, you could call it a blogging platform, right, called Medium, um, it's all about a visual. You come in and basically most of your page without, before you even start scrolling down, is taken up with the visual that, that sort of communicates what this post potentially may be about. I mean, to even two extremes, right? So, so you've, you've definitely um, introduced that trend earlier than some of the others. But, but it, the reason why I think this is happening, Michael, is, is it goes back to the whole idea of um, of filters. We the the amount of information we produce every forty eight hours now is the same amount of information, think about, that we produced from beginning of time till the year 2003. That's pretty nuts. Right? It's, it's insane. Um, we can't, and attention span, every year human attention span becomes less and less. Now it's between um, three and eight seconds. So you need to grab people's attention immediately and say, look, out of all the content that you're seeing on the web right now, mine is more interesting. Come and read about mine or come view mine. And, and, you know, everybody's complaining about the fact that Facebook's newsfeed is killing business, right? We, you know, we marketers now have to work so much harder to stand out from the crowd because if, if you don't um, use the appealing visuals that, that go with your text or your copy or wherever you're trying to drive traffic to from Facebook, you, you it's just going to be scrolled into the newsfeeds or never appear in your newsfeed. But the reality is marketers always had to work hard at it. Um, and marketers always had to make sure that, that, that their, their message is, is more interesting, more entertaining, more um, effective. And visuals is one way that, that filters real, that you stand out um, in, in all those filters, right? And, and most of the social networks now pick up visuals and videos and they choose it over just a regular text and that's how they build their algorithms because that's what they know people want to see, right? Um, and and I mean, even the Facebook paper through. app, think about that, right? Yeah. Have you tried yeah. that yet? That thing is totally visual, right? I mean, and Absolutely. it seems like Facebook is giving preferential treatment to uh, publishers who do have good visuals in their content. So there's exactly. another reason. Now, you had some other stats that I... 
Um, oh, absolutely. Share. So here's not a couple of others that you might find interesting and mind-blowing. Viewers spend 100% more time on web pages with videos. And YouTube alone, we all know, gets 3 billion views per day. Um, so, and, and another interesting one that you might, might not have seen, um, but publishers who use infographics for example, right, grow in traffic on average of 12% more than those that don't. And, and then you ask yourself a question, well, this is great for traffic and views. What about sales? Well, Sephora was one of the brands that actually published the data that talks about that they, how much their Pinterest followers spending versus their you know, Facebook fans, just because Pinterest is so much more visual. And their Pinterest followers spend 15 times more on the Sephora merchandise than the Facebook fans, mm. um, right? And then in online stores, customers think that the quality of product images of videos are more important than actual product information or even ratings of that product. So we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of sort of um, data that, that talks about the fact that viewers are more likely to buy a product um, if, when they see a product video and they have a high quality image accompanying it. So it really is, there's a lot of data that talks about the fact that it is, that it impacts your sales in a positive way. You know, I've got a crazy question here, but if you think about the days before the internet, Ekaterina, what did we have? We had magazines with beautiful um, art that was advertisements, right? And we had television shows and commercials that were beautiful art. Um, and, and then the internet came along and things got a little ugly. <laughs> Do you think this is kind of the evolution of the internet kind of getting to where now broadcast mediums have been for a long time? Because it seems like the broadcast mediums have always been visually very attractive. Um, you know, when I'm talking about print and, and, and talking about television, do you think it's finally getting around to the world of the online mediums? Well, absolutely. And, you know, events do, right? One of the things that, that was really effective or one of the ways is show, don't tell approach, not just online, but especially offline. So events were very highly effective. And now um, in the last 10 years, they really declined in, um, in uh, effectiveness, right? And but, but again, like with any new medium, the question becomes... How do we become more impactful, more effective? Um, and because once you're the first, you're first somewhere, you know, you get more attention because you're the first. But then everybody else gets used to a particular medium or, or uh, a network or presence. And, and then you're, you're back to square one. How do I stand out? Right. So it's, it's, it's a natural progression, I think. Okay. So what I hear you saying is that marketers should get visual storytelling down because number one consumers everyday people like you and me can process them much faster we tend to share them more we tend to be more influenced on the purchasing side basically everything that a marketer cares about is influenced by visuals so you know people pay attention here now let's talk about a business that's doing visual storytelling well i know you write about a lot of them in your book do you want to share an example of one that you think is doing it well and what are they doing and why is it working yes a ton of case studies in the book for sure um I, I think I think a couple of them are, are really interesting. Um, so we all know Red Bull. Um, what's interesting about Red Bull, and the reason why I'm bringing them up, is because they're not just highly visual. You know, a lot of stuff that they do is about extreme sports. So it, it tends to, you know, it just kind of stands reason that they they would use videos and images more often. But just the how they do it, the way they do it, they 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 
always create content that's very much in line with their brand, right? Extreme sports, taking the risk, you know, going all out, just just really doing amazing things. And that's what their sort of brand is all about. And so the way they use images and videos building up to a particular event, even even in, you know, extreme event like a, like a space jump, right? Or right. the live jump that they did. Um, and then during the event and after is, is really fascinating. I mean, they're really truly a... Um, storytelling masters um but you say look red bull great they're also somewhat of a media company because they have that arm in within their brand that allows for a budget and 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 production etc great well let's take another brand dunkin donuts um dunkin actually does not have huge budgets they they don't have budgets of a of a of, of a very well-known and loved brand as we usually kind of tend to think about it but 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 how they um Use um, the way they use so masterfully things like behind the scenes, um, love of of Dunkin' um, Donuts coffee and and other products by their fans, right? So their user generated. Um, visuals are so amazing they have fan of the week on their facebook page and they um and people come in droves to post a picture of of them in different places around the world with with their favorite duncan brand and logo and and the way they highlight those versus trying to spend a ton of money producing it in-house right the way they kind of work with their fans to make sure that that passion, visual passion, no less, is pulled in and telling the story of their brand. Um, they're also very cool on on, on Instagram and um, and Pinterest, where they would go in and they, you know, even employees would participate. They would paint their toenails with the Duncan brand, right? Duncan colors, and they would snap. Oh, uh, with the sugar thingies on the outside of the donut. You mean? Uh, but it's just like anything. There was just, you know, girls would go in and, and get the, their their nails painted, you know, orange and DD, right, for Dunkin' Donuts. And oh, I see. A lot of other sort of a fun ways. And they literally, sometimes sometimes it's more about real time or real sharing where you don't have to go professionally, take pictures and take all that time. Sometimes your mobile device is good enough and they use it very masterfully, right? Here's our behind the scenes. Here's, you know, here's what, what we're doing today. Here's our chef trying out new recipes for Duncan, right? And and here's our menus. And, and it's just really fun ways. Um, but one of the ones that stands out is definitely their first ever Vine ads. Have you heard about that? No, tell me more about it. So that is, that's and, and I'll even give you a data point on this that they shared with me for, for my article. Um, so they um, they they ran a series of Vine videos instead of the advertisements, right? So their regular ad, uh, TV ads, um, on ESPN Monday Night Countdown. So throughout 16-game season on the sort of network billboard ad unit, right, sort of full screen, five-second spot, um, aired between the segments um, on the network. So each Vine billboard ad w- was promoting the upcoming, what they would call hashtag Duncan Replay uh, Vine during Monday night football so where the team from Duncan um, you know recreated the uh, particular marquee play in real time from from the first half of the game sort of each week and they use Duncan menu items or Duncan cups right to actually recreate that um, uh, like and, claymation almost huh something yes like- exactly and and it was first of all I mean think about it right so so, so you ask yourself how do I do it effectively well here's how first of all you got to be relevant People, you don't interrupt with your ad, 
right? Because people are already in the game. Their head is in the game. And suddenly, instead of just a regular replay, you have a a, a fun, really interesting way with like Dunkin' Donut cups and you're just just running around, you know, reacting (laughs) that whole replay. It's in the context. People are ready for it. You're not intruding. You're actually complementing the experience and you're doing it in real time through Vine. I mean, how cool is that? And so the data around this that they shared with me was, according to to, 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 the, to the official sort of Dunkin' Donuts spokesperson, each replay Vine delivered as many impressions as a comparable TV spot at a significantly less cost. I mean, this is just just amazing. Wow. It's just sort of creative. If you've ways. got some links, I'd love to embed those in the show notes so people can take a look at those vines. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 really fascinating. And I mean, uh, kudos to them, right? It, it's um it, it's one of the things that says, look, we're telling our story. We are um, we're very passionate about the same things our customers are passionate right now. Um, you know, in this example, they they bonded. Um, around sports and their passion for sports, um, they you know they support a lot of a lot of um, events offline as well in the community. So it's just it's a relevancy. It's you know it's relevancy. It's reach. Um, it's really relationship building with your customers in a way. But it was also a first ever. So obviously, you That's know cool. that gets a lot of talk. Okay, so so far we've talked about what visual storytelling is. We've talked about why people ought to consider with a lot of the stats, and we've we've shared some examples of businesses that are doing it well. Let, let's break down kind of what goes into the visual storytelling. Um, you know, what are the core elements or what are, you know, said another way, what makes some visual stories work, why others don't work? Can you share any any tips or advice on that? Uh, absolutely. Um, I would say, you know, we, we talk about sort of seven elements, but let me talk about just a couple of them. Um, one is design, right? So you do need to, as you're sort of building your um, your visual strategy, think about design and also think about relevancy to a brand. So an example of this would be um uh, Intel. When when we, I was still still at Intel, and we we said, how are we using, um, and how can we use more uh, of Intel images, but do so in a way that's it's recognizable. So um, if you look at multiple different images a company posts, like Happy First Day of Spring and Happy Valentine's Day, and et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on. Um, there is a particular visual element of Intel branding that's sort of incorporated either in a you know in a food Football or a butterfly or a heart or whatever it is you want to use that 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 that's taken from Intel sort of die right so so when you when you make a chip right um, you have a, a die that 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 you use and so those are colors are orange and blue and um, and they're very recognizable so how do you tell interesting and, and fun story with your visual but at the same time make sure that it's consistent where people say oh I know this is from Intel because um, it it has the subtle elements of Intel branding. Gotcha. So what is that design that will kind of continue to tell your story? Another one would be make sure that that it has some sort of real-time amplification. So we all know that, um, you know, we can take up to six months to prepare a campaign. We can take up to several weeks to, you know, to figure out a particular strategy. Um, but I think nowadays uh, brands need to become more and more responsive and more agile and um, really c- 
catch the right conversation and the right context to to be relevant and to really stand out. So, so how are you using um, events um, in an either useful or interesting and entertaining way? So whether whether it's a s- snowstorm and and you're helping um, your city in a particular way, right? Or whether it is uh, you know Oscars or you everybody knows about you know Super Bowl and Oreo um, that happened last time and didn't happen this time, right? So right. not happening is also news. But but sort of how do you use events like that or particular local um, things happening local that community cares about to really add sort of real-time um, amplification that says, look, I am here, I am part of this group, I am part of this community, and I and I am listening. Um, and then also it's just uh, sometimes it's pure entertainment value, right? Just making sure that, um, that uh, you make people laugh or um, do something funny like a smart car example do you do you have you heard about that uh, smart car um, the one that Twitter drives exchange where where somebody somebody actually uh, tweeted said hey he's just saw a bird um, crap on smart car and it totaled it and you know you would think that the brand would go well you know this guy is not very influential doesn't have that much following but they did not miss that opportunity you know they didn't have to reply but they did not miss that opportunity and they actually came back to him to Clayton with the infographic saying well actually Clayton it couldn't have been one bird we actually did the math and calculation and here's an infographic that shows that it takes X thousand um, turkey poops and X thousand of <laughs> emu poops and X X million of pigeon poops, right? To actually total smart car, and um, and you know this example happened a couple of years back, and it's still being covered. It was covered in, in my in my book, but the reality is is don't miss the opportunities. People are jabbing at you. Don't take it personally. Don't miss an opportunity to say, look, we can actually use it as a great conversation starter. Thanks for the idea. Let's get back um, with, with something interesting and fun and exciting. So not taking yourself too seriously sometimes and saying, look, really living in a digital age means living in conversation economy. Let's talk about um, let's talk about the share, the spreading of visuals, because, um, you know, Facebook has in the past recent past kind of said, hey, we're not going to show as many memes in the in the newsfeed. Um, and there's even questions amongst you know, the community of social media marketers that I hang out with as to whether or not Facebook is penalizing uh, people that are uploading uh, images with words on them because they probably have algorithms that are, you know, searching to see whether or not it's actually a photograph or, or it has words on it. Um, have you heard anything about whether or not these kinds of things still are as popularly shared on Facebook in particular? Do you know any, you have any insight on that? So on Facebook, you know, I'm not sure. I just know that I've seen them a lot. So in using that as a person and helping with some of the the brands we work with, I'm still seeing that. I I don't think that trend is going away. But as far as distribution, I don't think that images with a text overlay or images with quotes or images with particular statistics, right, which is a sort of a portion of infographics, if if you will, I don't think they'll go away. And, And the reason is because because of continued popularity of sites like Pinterest and Tumblr and others. Um, You know, if you really look at sort of how things shared on Twitter and Tumblr, one-third of the links shared on Twitter are images – 50% 50% of posts uh, on Tumblr are photos. So people are looking for um, for, for things to share or pin. So, for example, if I write a blog post and I just 
attach a generic image, people go, okay, great, this is great, but unless you have a specific image that is valuable to me in some sense, so like has a text overlay like a joke or a quote, or maybe it's a cartoon or a statistics um, or even a video, right? I cannot pin it to Pinterest. So I think you, you're going to see a lot of overlay of um, continued use of imagery um, that has useful information or entertaining information or, or funny, um, you know, something funny using humor because of, of other usage. So you want to, every time you produce a content, you want to understand how is it going to be used? Will people pin it or at least a portion, right, of your article that then drives back to your site? Will people then you know, uh, posted on Tumblr, etc. But I think one of the bigger things that we definitely need to look at as marketers, and I see marketers miss the boat on, is um, they are not respecting the context. Meaning, you produce one piece. So let's say you have an image with a quote on it, right? So you produce one piece, and then you try to stuff it in all of the social networks, and you go, oh, great, I'm done, that's wonderful. Um, you know, saves me a lot of time. The, the, the problem with that is that every network has a following. Think about it as a following, as a tribe um, of different people with different interests, of different ages, actually, right? Pinterest, more female-oriented, Tumblr is very young audience, et cetera, et cetera. And they all have also different sizing requirements. You have to, to respect the context as a marketer. So when you talk about distribution, you need to think, to yourself is, what is my audience? How do I respect the audience and the context in which they're getting my information? Can I do something similar but but, but slightly targeted? So can I do a GIF on, on Tumblr because Tumblr it will really, th- those GIFs are really popular there. Can I do um, a particular um, you know quote for Facebook because people love sharing quotes on Facebook or can I do a quick video for Vine or Instagram. So I think one of the one of the biggest tips that I that, that I always tell marketers is, um, what is your audience? What is the context? And it, I, I know everybody's resources is limited, but you know, don't be lazy. And if you feel like you cannot be everywhere, don't be everywhere because you can actually damage your brand by trying to to push the same stuff all over the place. Um, uh, you know, be actually very mindful in, in what you do and how you do it for sure. My last question to Katerina is for somebody who's listening right now who isn't sure where to start with their visual story, um, you know, they, they're doing some exciting things, but they're not sure there's a story there. Um, what tip would you give to the person listening right now who wants to experiment with this to kind of just get his or her feet wet when it comes to these visuals in a way that's maybe not too costly and not too resource uh, heavy. Um, th- I, I'd say I that depends on situation, but but let me put it this way: um, you first you start with with your with your brand, right? A lot of times I see a mistake of say of people saying, "Okay, what's the next product we're launching?" Um, and and you know, wh- what are the specifications? What are specific things that we want to push? Is that is that a particular size or a color? Or, you know, better life if it's a tech, whatever that is. That's a wrong question to ask. Storytelling is all about who you are, so that's why we see a lot a lot more heritage uh, pin boards popping up or who we are or our story. Um, you need to 
to go all the way up, up to the top to say, why was this company created? What is the key messaging? Um, what are the initiatives that, that we really push? I mean, are we really helping the environment? Are we really in, engaged in, in local communities with kids? You know, what are ev- everything else we're doing besides our product? Marketers tend to be so focused on their specific product. Um, <laughs> you know, I love that. Mar- marketing the product, market the brand, market the why, as Simon said. And the people, say. right? And the and people market beh- the P, exactly. The people behind the brand. Like, here's the, sh- here's the first shovel that went into the ground before we built this university, yes. right? Yes. So, so I'll give, I'll have a really fun story and I'll, I'll promise I'll make it quick. Um, at Intel, so we, you know, we've, 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 we started to, to back and it was probably about three, four years ago, three years ago, something like that. We started to experiment with images and seeing the power that, that they actually bring. So we started to experiment with different things. And so we're walking around Intel campus one day and, and we see this really, you know, engineers, right? Um, there's several desks of engineers and it's really messy. There's cables, there's half build systems, there's like, it's really like if if I look at it as a woman and a mother, I'm like that's a mess, right? <laughs> but but to our geeky audience, that's heaven, right? I mean, what what do, what do the desks look like, right? At Intel, and what does it inside the office actually look like? What are the guys doing? What are they working on? So we actually snapped a picture right there with a the mobile phone, posted on Facebook, and our manager calls us back and says. Uh, our, I well, one of our men, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 says, um, what the heck? Take it down, and we're like, look, give it, you know, give it ten minutes, give it fifteen minutes. Uh, if it's you know, it's not successful, then fine. But we're trying new things, and they're like, that's a mess, right? And our audience went insane. They're like, that is the coolest thing. I I, I bet I know what they're building. Like the, it's they went gaga because we not only showed our human bread, we, we showed you know what people are doing, what how you know in what environment people are working, and we were not afraid to open a kimono and say, hey, yeah, well, yes, we're a little messy, and yes, we're a little geeky, but guess what? Geeky <laughs> is this nerdy is the new black. So so we're proud of it, you know. And it was at that time, um, and in several years of of, of Intel Facebook page existing, that was the highest commented and shared post we've had. So we we learned something there and then is is it's also about behind your scenes. It's about your people. It's about about maybe some of the messy things, but maybe maybe how you guys have fun, right? Um, and then you know that that's that was a great lesson. So we've done other things like uh, um, like you know Ganyam style videos with Intel employees after that that went game busters, and we've done. <laughs> A lot of other fun things that literally management didn't ask us to do, but we did it ourselves because we knew how awesome. Like that is the heart of your brand. Ekaterina, um, I know I speak for a lot of people listening right now. They're hopefully jazz now and thinking about um, maybe how ugly their desk is or <laughs> or the inside of their car is and how they could make a visual a visual story out of this. Um, where can folks discover more about you and your new book, The Power of Visual Storytelling? Where do you want to send them? Um, my blog has most of the information about me and both of my books, ekatrinawalter.com. I'm also on Twitter, Ekatrina, so just my first name. So anybody who has any more questions or wants to connect, I'm very engaged there. And the book will be available um, end of February on Kindle. And the hard copy, full color, beautiful a copy with case studies and pictures and strategy uh, layout and map is going to be available on March 7th. Awesome. And, and for those of you that are mobile right now, it's E-K-A-T 
E-R-I-N-A, Ekaterina Walter. Ekaterina, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share your insights with us. I know I speak for a lot of people. It was awesome. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you. It was my my pleasure. Absolutely. Well, be sure to grab a copy of Ekaterina's book. I've seen a digital version of it, and I think it looks spectacular. Well, this does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. If there was anything that we mentioned in today's show that you did not catch, don't worry. We take the notes for you. You can visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 8383. Wow, 83 episodes. And you will not only find links and detailed notes to everything that happened today, but you also be able to leave a comment, perhaps for me or Ekaterina Walter. This does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. And I really do hope I get a chance to meet you in person at Social Media Marketing World 2014. Check it out at socialmediaworld14.com. See what all the buzz is about. And I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.